21, verses 22 through 32. They're in the handout. You can read in the scripture as well. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time revisiting the setup because we spent that time last week and we, uh, we were more extensively devoted to, to it. I'm going to kind of read through it briefly and uh, get to where I feel like we need to go here. It says that when he came, Jesus, into the temple, that the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So we're giving a setting. The setting is in the temple. Jesus is teaching. He's confronted. He's confronted by the temple authorities. And it says here, but Jesus answered and he said to them, I will also ask you one thing. You have a question for me. I have a question for you, which if you will tell me, I will then tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he refers to this baptism of John. We talked about this last week. John was the, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one who had been sent as a prophet to prepare the way for the coming of Messiah. When John was preaching, many people were drawn to him. In fact, many people who were outsiders were drawn, particularly those who were disenfranchised and had been written off as sort of unreachable and un at this point because of choices in their lives, unlovable in terms of God's care for them. And John invited them in and said, God is doing a new thing, and all who are open are welcome. And it was this sense of, of if you will come, God wants to do a work. And uh, many people turned their lives over to God in a new way because of John's baptism. And they made a change. They changed their life. And it was remarkable. But we go on here. So that's what he's referring to. He says, the baptism of John, where was it from? Was it from heaven or from men? And they, the, accused, the ones who had confronted him, the elders and the, and the teachers, they said, if we, if we say from heaven, then he will say, then why then did you not believe what John said specifically about me? If you want to know about my authority, if you believe John, then your question is answered. But then they said, if we say from men, that he wasn't really from God, we fear the multitude, the people, for all of them count John as someone sent from God, a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, and they said, well, we do not know. We really can't answer that question. We're not sure. And he said to them, well, then, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And that was sort of his response. And it could have ended right there with Jesus saying, well, then I'm really not interested in having a discussion because we don't even have a, a base to build on because you're not willing to be honest and forthright about, about this issue. But Jesus then turns and he says something more. And, I th and this story, by the way, was directed towards those who were questioning him, but everybody was listening and a part of this moment. He says, what do you think? He says, there's this man. And again, this is right after he just told them, I'm not interested in talking about this and answering your questions. He says, what do you think? There was this man, a father. He had uh, two sons. He says, and um, he asked uh, one of them, he said, son, will you go and work in my vineyard today? And Jesus said that the first son that was asked to do this responded, I will not. And Jesus said that um, afterwards, though, he relented. He, he relented and he ended up doing it anyway. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, but then he came to his second son, and he asked the same question. He said, will you, son, will you go and work for me today in my vineyard? 
And he said the second son, in contrast to the first, said, I will. But then he didn't. And he said, let me ask this question. Which of these two sons did the will of his father? Now, they were so drawn into the story that they had let their guard down. And so they answered the question because it was obvious. They said, well, obviously, the, the first son did. And that's when Jesus then turned to them and he said these words. He says then, he says, truly I say to you, and you look at me, I tell you the truth. That people you despise and say God has no interest in and at this point, tax collectors and publicans <laughs> and harlots, prostitutes. These people who you've written off, but who have responded to the message of John. These people will enter into the new thing that God is doing, the kingdom of God. They will enter into it before you. Because, because, and then he concludes by saying this, because when John came to you and he shared the righteous thing, the right thing that God was doing, the righteousness of God, the truth of God that you say you believe in, because when he actually declared it to you and you actually saw the impact that it was having on other people and watching them actually turn around and, and, and see God do amazing things in their lives. Instead of you saying, God is doing an amazing thing among us, you turned your back and you, you entrenched yourself even more so and became even all the more adamant and unmoved. And you would not believe. And it was a powerful indictment. It was a powerful word. And it was, it was as if he, Jesus was saying, you, you are... The second son, you say you will, but you don't. And these other people, maybe they didn't get it right on the front end, but you know what? They have responded and come around. Now, that's the gist of it. But the story itself, I want us to sit with it for a moment, because really it is about the response of two sons. The first son who says, I will uh, not do this when he's asked the question. Um, it was, think about it. If I can uh, adamantly describe it, uh, maybe Jesus had a tone attached to it. There's a father. He went to his son. He says, son, I want you to work for me today, today in the vineyard. And the son's response is, I will not. In a way, Jesus captures that first response is that it's, it's, it comes across as curt. It comes across as stubborn, it, willful, absolutely in your face, no. Straight up. I'm not interested in doing it, and I won't do it. And I can only tell you that if I had this interaction with my, I was trying to think, what if this has happened to me in my house with my, my boys? We would have a lot longer conversation, right? <laughs> um, but this son, because again, we read it and we go, oh, you know, yeah, just, I will not. But no, but if you think about it for a moment, it was it, uh, astonishingly disrespectful. It was stark. It was resolute. There was no, there was not even an explanation attached to it. I'm not interested, I'm not doing it. No. And, and, and that, that reaction reminds us. And I, I want to just say a couple of things in brief on the front end here. And I'm actually have the, I'm gonna sort of note them as we move through this. I want to suggest that stubbornness is no virtue, even though it's honest. Because some people might say, well, at least he was honest. <laughs> but I read somewhere where the writer said this, he said, avowed badness uh, is not made good by being avowed. We don't make something 
good just because we own it if it's bad. It might be better, but it's still not what, what we should be doing. <laughs> I, I was hesitant to put this up. Stubbornness is no virtue, even though it's honest, because I know my wife's going to call me on this later on. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, she's laughing right now, I know. <laughs> we got in a fight last night uh, just over her asking me something, and I, my first reaction was, no, <laughs> you know. You want to know more about that, don't you? All right, but no. <laughs> it all worked out, all right. <laughs> but it did make me think about this point, that stubbornness is not virtuous just because it's owned. And we might say, well, you know, I mean, he said no, but at least he said it, what he meant, you know? But, and you contrast that, by the way, to the second son, his brother, who said, I will do this. And, and the way Jesus phrases it is intentional. He says, I will, sir. It's uh, obedience. Sounds great, almost elegant. Absolutely. No problem. But Jesus says there was a problem. The problem was he didn't do it. He said yes. We're not even told why he didn't. You know, maybe he got, maybe he meant to. And he just got distracted, and he didn't finish it up. Or maybe he uh, got caught up in something else, and uh, maybe he never even meant to at all. Maybe he was just trying to say, yeah, 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 but then he had no intention of doing it at all. We're not told. Jesus doesn't really describe it too much. He just says the one said, I'll do it, and he doesn't do it. Here's a second piece of this. Follow through matters. Follow through matters. By the way, it matters to God, and it matters a whole lot in our relationships. Absolutely. I mean, we have to be able to trust that, um, that people will honor what they say they will do. What we say we will do, we will do. Wonderful words, great promises. I'll do this. I'll take care of it. As beautiful as they may be, as elegantly framed and as wonderful, as, if they're not delivered on, they're honestly they're like an empty cloud. It's like a relational junk food, right? It can't do anything. It doesn't do anything. It actually undermines things. It actually undermines things. I mean, our, our best relationships, you know, life is built on trust. But when someone makes a promise and doesn't keep it, what happens when we do that? We violate relational trust. And it creates a gap. It hurts us, by the way. It hurts us in our ability to commit to people. If we've been, look, some of us have been on the back end of others violating trust. And trust violations are very difficult to overcome. Because a person says they're going to do something promises they're going to do something and doesn't deliver. Remember we talked about how Jesus, last week he said everything was riding on the last 5%. If Jesus got to the garden, he lived three, he administered for three years, but everything was riding on what he was going to do in that final, was he going to complete what he said he was going to do, what the Father was asking. That final 5%, everything rode on it. When people, you know what, when, when people say they're going to do something, when we say we're going to, it, it, it matters, it creates it creates a security in our lives. And we, we, we all need islands of security that we can depend on. And you know what? If we have people in our lives that are enormously dependable and we can trust them, you know how blessed we are? We're very blessed. And we need to thank the Lord for that. A lot of times I think we focus too much on what the flaws in people are. But we sometimes need to really honor those in our lives who follow through with what they promise. Because I think we can focus on the people who let us down and we don't honor and bless and thank the Lord enough for those who actually follow through for us. And may the Lord help
help us to be a people like that. A lot of people say, well, then I'm not going to commit because I'm afraid that if I commit, you know, um, I might. So we have a whole generation of, of, of people who, who won't commit to anything because we don't want to break my, I don't want to break the commitment. So I just, I will not, right? And it has a virtue attached to it, but it's not, it's not the response that the Lord really wants. By the way, the Lord wants to teach us to grow, I believe this, in our capacity to make commitments, and he wants to teach us to grow in our capacity to keep commitments. And part of growing in the Lord is learning how to not be afraid. Because we failed before, others have let us down, and I'm going to do it again. And we have to begin to trust God that with your help, Lord, I can do this. I can follow, and you know what? Follow through on little things matters because it really does help us in following through on big things. And I talked about that, like we talked about this last week. So, but think about the two, the two reactions there. You go back to the first son, and you know it says a son, and he said, I won't do it, but then what did he do afterwards? He, he repented, he, he relented. Maybe he got back and he started thinking about, you know, I had a bad attitude. I need, I need to go do this. I, and he says he changed. His, he, maybe he felt bad. He says he turned around and he actually went into the vein and he did it. He went to work. And so here's our third piece here. That delayed obedience is better than no obedience. Because <laughs> I hear a lot of people say, well, I already blew it. It's too late. Why bother? I already made a man. No, it matters. Go ahead. Go do the right thing. Yeah, it, it may not be. Okay, we agree. Neither one of these two sons had the, the reaction that we should have they should have had. The, the real reaction should have been, Father, I don't really don't want, but I'm going to do it because you've asked. That should have been. But, but whether or not that was the reaction on the front end, the bottom line was, even though it was a reluctant obedience, it was still an obedience. It's, it's a, sometimes, listen, we, come around, we struggle a lot sometimes to get this thing right. And a lot of times it's a battle to just get with God's program in our life. And we start out, we start running, and, we, and all of a sudden we get pulled off here, or we fall down, or we trip, or we get stuck over there, we pull off to the wrong side, we're, we're get, we get ourselves into stuff, and we're not following through on our good intentions. And I'm gonna, but I'm going to say this, even when some of us have said, well, you know what, I should have done it, I wasted my opportunity, so don't necessarily assume that. If God is working in our heart, we need to respond. You know what he can do? The Lord can make beautiful, beautiful music out of a broken instrument. He can turn things around in miraculous ways. If we're willing to walk with God and cooperate with God, we'll be shocked at how much he can bring back to life again. How much a willingness to just do it, even though we made a mess of it on the front end, how much God will honor that. How much growth will come from that. I look at this and I go back, you know, look again at the, what was the command of the father? What, what did he ask? What was his request to his sons? I want us to just sort of dissect it together and pull something from it. What did he say? Son, go and work today in my vineyard. Go work today in my vineyard. And you know the first thing we're told here? And the first thing I want us to really notice about this Christian life of ours? That everything about it is about relationship. Think about this. Firstly, relationship. What does he say? Son. He doesn't say, um, you know, 
you know, worker, uh, go do the, it's, it starts off the, son, you know what's with me, I think about my own, it could be my sons or my daughters, but I come up and I say, if I, there's something going on, uh, by that very use of son, I want to talk to you for a moment. We need that, son, listen, I need you to do this. That very use of that word, you know what it says? You are, you are something to me. We, are, we have relationship. You're not just anyone to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. And there's something, listen, at the core, the Christian life is not about doing to be loved. It's about doing because we're loved. It's not a rule-based. At, at its core, it's love-based. It's, it's responding to a God who first loved me and gave everything he had for us. Whenever there is a rule-based approach to serving God and doing the work, it produces death. It, it can't transfer life. And some of us, and I know enough stories as the years have gone by, came out of very constrictive backgrounds where, where the rules became the issue more than the relationship. And I'm going to say that Jesus starts out this, he's teaching us something. He's saying everything about this depends on relationship. It's son, I need you. Not worker, not employee, not hireling. Son, son, daughter. It's about us learning how to live in, in, in relationship with God, in love with God. It, it matters. It's different. It's not just doing the right thing. It's, it's not doing things apart from relationship. That's why, that's why God, Jesus would say some shocking things. He said, don't give me lip service and then not do what I say. Don't say, Lord, Lord, and then do, not do what I say. He says, I don't want your outer compliance. I want your heart. You read the Old Testament. God is like a wounded lover saying to his people, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart. I don't want your offerings. They're good. But if they're not connected to the heart, they don't mean anything to me. That's what he would say. It's like, God, I don't need your tip. That's what he was saying. The religious duty, if it's apart from the heart, it, it, what, is, what is it? It's a nice ritual. This is about relations. It's not go work in the vineyard. It is son. 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 And every time I hear that, I, I, hear, I hear love. And so we respond to God. Our, our work for the Lord is always a response of the love that comes to us first. What is it? Son. What else? Go work. So what is this? It's a call to work, secondly. And this is a very important thing for us to always remember, that this Christian life of ours is not this ethereal, airy, light, otherworldly faith that is just something to be admired from afar, and it's fragile, and we, we just sort of, we have it there, but it's not, no, this is an earthy, real, Jesus would say, the king, the, your kingdom come on earth earth as it is in here in our life. It is meant not to just be admired. It is meant to not just to be touched and tentatively engaged. It is meant to be grappled with and it's earthy. It's real. It gets into the very most intimate details of our life. 
It gets into our relationships. It affects our character, who we are becoming. It's about grappling with things, wrestling with things, struggling. Yeah, struggling through things. And I think about a little seedling in the ground and the struggle to get out of that ground sometimes. That bursting out. We only see it uh, when it comes out. But that bursting out, that struggle to break out of things. You know, this is about, this is not just about believing. It's about doing. It, it is about respond. This, is, this requires work. Think about it. It has something to do with, with getting something into action, not just a passiveness. This thing won't work right passively. It doesn't mean there's not a time to pull back and replenish and to cease from our efforts. There's a Sabbath principle in the scriptures, very real indeed. But the fact of the matter is, this thing only happens when, it, when we work with it. It means we struggle. Yeah, yeah. Read the psalm. It's all about struggling, but breaking through. It's about working hard. It's about joy. There's something about it. You put that second point up there. It has to do with being called to work. It has to do with working and moving forward with God. It's not a passive way. It's an active way. It has to do with being responsive to the Lord and, and engaging in things, not taking a casual, haphazard sort of whatever approach to things with God. What we put in, we get. That's some, there's some truth to this. And it, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about the... Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, I was, well, went to see a movie with, with my wife and uh, one of our children, our son, and um, it, some of you may have seen it, some of you may not. It, it was Wall. We saw a couple of different movies. This one was Wally. God spoke to me at Wally. <laughs> Wally. Yeah, I can't even do it right. But the thing of it was, if you've seen the film, there was this moment where. There's a point to this. All right, there was a moment where in Wally, because Wally is a very interesting film because it has. It, it, Beautiful, by the way, but it, it's simple, it's childlike, it's, it has wonder in it, but there's profound truth in it. You know, one of the, the story itself actually has to do with the fact that years have passed, you know, that the earth has become uninhabitable, um, the, the human colony is, is in the sky somewhere in a spaceship, right? Wally's down below, and what happens is they've been given this mandate over a number of years that, that they're never, they're, there's going to come a point where they get to return to earth but it, there's got to be a sign that it's inhabitable again. And, and so this is part of the whole story. And there's this little, when they see this little green plant, plant and that's a sign, it, you can come, we can return. Well, generations have passed on this, this planet ship. And on the ship, one of the things that caught my attention was how they pictured what had happened to the human race. Because everybody is living like in a virtual world. And they have these screens in front of them, and, and everything you want, you get. So if you, if you have something in your head, you, there's a robot, you're not really talking to people. Everything is through this screen. You're moving around. You're not even walking. In fact, the people have become so accustomed to have everything provided for them, they, they can't even walk. They roll out. Their bodies have literally metamorphosed. They've changed because of such little activity. And I was joking this morning, that's some people's vision of heaven, you know? <laughs> and I'm going, no, no, God, God made us to work. And you say, well, because you think about it, I mean, and the God, God is a worker, and he's an artist. And he 
he set the human race in place to have a fulfillment. There was a unique joy and satisfaction when we put in our hard work, labor, and we complete something. You say it was hard, but I had to do it. There's something about it. In the film, they have become so soft. Everything provided for us. Such ease. It's, it's a, it, it can happen to us in our walk with God. We never really exercise. We never really push. He takes it easy. And this is the third piece here. It's not just a matter of when are we going to work, you know, or are we going to. It also has to do with the fact that, what does he say? Son, will you work in my vineyard when? Tomorrow? Ten years from now? Uh, at when you retire? No, today will you work in my vineyard. Today. Now. This is the time. This is not a time to hold back. It's not a time to be casual. Our life is too short. We don't know our, our opportunities and what we will have. Too short to get stuck in the easy play. We, are not to, we will never find our true self with God in simply the pursuit of the easy way. The lesson of the cross is there's life. There are times where God will call us to go to work. Son, daughter, will you go to, go to work today, today? Now is the time. Don't put off tomorrow. Today. I don't know. Whatever happened, I, you can't change it. Whatever it may be, we can't. It's not promised. But what is today? Today. Now, this season of my life, what is God saying? Will I put my hand to it? Will I go? Will I go? Or will I say, I will not go? I have been both of these sons. I have said sometimes, Lord, I will. And then I didn't. There are other times where I've said I will not, but afterwards I felt the conviction of the Lord. And I relented. There was a rel that word there, he relented, he repented. There was an implication that, Lord, I feel, I know I have wronged you. I will do what is right. I will do it. And there's a, that difference between the resolve and doing. And what, and what is the doing? The doing is I will go to work. And where will you go to work? Here's the last, last idea. I will go to work in the vineyard, in your vineyard. The work is to be done in his vineyard. Where is his vineyard? Well, in one sense, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. This is the vineyard. But there is another sense that I believe that in this life, listen, loved ones, all of us have a calling, have an assignment at some corner of the vineyard of God. We have a work to be done for our Father. Some of us, it's going to be looking like a how we're involved in the marketplace. It might show up a lot on our jobs and the difference we're willing to make for God there. Others of us, it has a lot to do with how we invest ourselves into our church and community life. Others of us, it might have to do with uh, having a burden for the city or having a burden for certain groups of people who, who honestly others are not connecting with, but we have been given a capacity to connect with, with the loss of a certain group of people, and they're going to need to see Jesus, and how are they going to see him? What is our assignment in the vineyard? Are we going to be open to growing and to, and to be able to do the work that is required to represent the heart of the Lord in that place with those people who also need to see the love of God? I mean, come on. Where are we? Some of us, it has to do with, with somewhere else across in another land. But the Lord has an assignment for us in the vineyard. Go to work. Son, go work for me today. In my vein, will we respond in this season of our lives? And we say, well, what does that look like? It looks like taking it seriously. It looks like pouring ourselves to getting ourselves into a kind of place where we're willing to pay attention to the things that matter and are going to show up. The way that we're actually pursuing our relationship with God and the burden in our heart and the approach to life that we're taking 
the way that we're treating our commitments, the way that we're choosing to go after our character formation, so that increasingly what is recognized in our life, in our life is the light of God, that it shows up in our, in our ability to keep our commitments, shows up in our willingness to love hard and love well, not just when it's convenient for us, but when it costs us something. Son, will you work for me today in my vineyard? Daughter, will you work for me today in the vineyard? The place that I'm asking you to step into, will you do it? What will I ask you? Lord, I pray that as we sit here as a people gathered in your name, and the name of Jesus rests over this house, and it is your grace, Lord. I think about the one, and I think about how, Lord, you, um, you pursue us even when we are stubborn and proud. And you keep trying to work in our hearts, Lord, to get our attention to, to do the work. See, Lord, I mean, you have a work for us to do. And I'll tell you something. I know the deepest joy of our life is found in the work that you have for us to do. It is that eternal work here on earth. And it may not look like a lot to others, but it sure looks like a lot to you. Because at the end of the day, it's not about what people see nearly as much as what you've asked us to do. And I pray that you would fill us with both courage and resolve to follow through on our good intentions, Lord. That either way that you call us, we will go. I pray this, Lord. Teach us to be obedient sons and daughters. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Bless our time as we close the service. Bless this song, which is our closing prayer, as it were. And bless our time as giving as many of us honor you with the first fruits of our lives, our tithes and our offerings and our giving. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.